Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 55. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. Yeah, the Roundtable Podcast. And you know how we do it, too. Every week, we bring a writer to come on the show, and they present a story idea to us and to our guest writer. Exactly. And then we sit the story down. We we undress it politely, giving it a hospital gown, but something a little bit revealing in the back. Uh, And then we start working it over. We start examining it, exploring it. We ask it to take some deep breaths, uh, to to, to pay into a bag uh, to jog on it. I have no idea what the hell we do, but somehow, <laughs> some, <laughs> some way we managed to, to, to tease out the awesomeness of every story into what we like to call literary gold. <laughs> you know, really, I just I need to just switch it around and put you, Mr. Ryan, in that position so you get to talk that talk because you do it so beautifully. Oh, I was I wasn't sure where you were going with that one for a few minutes there. Well, but... see, and that's the thing. I need to. I, I didn't either. And clearly, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should probably think about that a little bit before we come on the show. It certainly wasn't forgettable, so don't worry about that. God forbid that should happen. And speaking of unforgettable, uh, what say you, my friend? We we roll on into this thing and uh, bring our bring our guest host back on, eh? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. And that A was just for you, dude. <laughs> that was Canadian, right? We're Thank rocking. you so much. <laughs> I want you to feel at home. I do. Oh, dear friends, please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, author of Unkillable, Stories I Told Myself, uh, How to Succeed in Evil, and so many more delicious uh, treats out there on the Potosphere, the Amazon Sphere, and the audio world. Uh, welcome back to the big chair, Patrick McLean. Patrick, thank you, sir, for returning to the round table and 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 consenting to workshop a story with us this is going to be awesome happy to be here this is one of my favorite things to do oh yeah i heard that about you and and having seen some of your um google hangout stuff that you did just recently with the the batman sherlock holmes thing clearly this is the thing that that uh that gets your get your blood going there oh yeah well you know i'm i i come from an advertising background so mostly it's people sitting around throwing out ideas and Sometimes there's alcohol involved and all manner of <laughs> corruption and foulness. But this is pure because it's just a good story idea. You're not trying to sell somebody something, you know. It's nice. Exactly, exactly. No no filthy lucre here. This is all this is all pure creative mojo. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No lucre? No <laughs> no 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 lucre. Uh, uh, maybe some Amazonian wine, but that's about it. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> okay. Patrick, uh, I, I you've you've engaged in so many different pursuits in your life and you continue to do so as you explore new and marvelous paths of of expression what's coming up for you in the coming weeks and months any any books coming out articles uh are you going to any conventions what's what's coming up with patrick mclean well i'm glad you asked (laughs) not that i really have a good answer i output slowed down a little bit last year because i had a child Ah, uh, well, yeah. Uh, and I got, I got tapped to write uh, a bunch of material for Wasteland 2, um, which is a CRPG, computer RPG, with a lot of depth and a lot of writing in it. So that is going to be coming out in October. We're, we're finishing that up. I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly with the scripters now, but the game is, is really, really good. There aren't really any, there's multiple ways to solve every problem. 
And then uh, I have a bunch of books on Amazon, as you mentioned. And I'm working on something um, that's, that's the working title is The Merchant Adventurer. And as I was working on this game, I was thinking about RPGs and all the ones that I played, going all the way back to Wizardry, which I don't know if you know this game, but it's ancient and you're really geeky. Oh my God, yes, on the Apple yes, II. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the so if you remember, in this game, there was a merchant. Right, yes. Do you remember the merchant's name? Oh, crap. Uh, no, I'm going to fail that quiz. Sorry. <laughs> the merchant's name was Boltek. Yeah, okay, all right. And yep. he was an incredible pain in the ass. <laughs> because he would... It, it, like a magic item, you, you couldn't really figure out what it did unless you equipped it, right? right. Uh, and the only way, and you still wouldn't know. And he would charge you what the item was worth to identify it. He was the only person in the game who would identify it. And he would pay half, you know, he would pay like half of what something was worth or a tenth of what something was worth. So there was no way to farm anything in the game. That game's ridiculously hard. So my thought was, what if, what if you write a story about, like, you know, overcoming the wizard, the monster in the bottom of the cage? It turns out to be a wizard, which is funnier. And, um, but instead of being the heroes, it's that guy. It's the merchant who oh, eventually God. wins the day. Okay. What's that story like? So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm not saying it's done yet. But that's going to be is the merchant the, the, the main character, or do you have an adventurer who's running up against the merchant who's the main character? No, the merchant is the main character. The merchant actually has to go. See, like if, if you were in that position and you're watching all these adventurers go and try and you know wipe out the wizard uh, at the bottom of this big maze, like they're mostly hacks and they mostly sure. get killed, right? These are not productive members of society. <laughs> it's, it's an evolutionary cycle here. Plus, plus all of that swag and booty is going back into the wizard's coffers. Yeah, so it's a little... Yeah, that's going into the wizard's coffer, and what they managed to steal is coming to Boltec, so it's kind of like Dungeon Pawn Stars. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. So, so we're looking sometime in 2013, maybe? Absolutely, sometime. And I will actually say, uh, uh, before... Hopefully, before... Uh, the middle of the year that'll be out outstanding because i want to i want to finish that and i've actually gotten to the point where if i can't figure out how to just make this thing move along a little faster and i write pretty fast anyway i'm just going to start podcasting it before it's done saying i'm going to put it out once a week put put the screws (laughs) to myself because i was going to say nothing like lighting the fuse behind you yeah there you go blow it up (laughs) but anyway uh so that's that's what i got going on i think uh with any luck, I will be at Balticon this year. That, that really is my favorite convention for new media authors. It's just wonderful. Very cool. I will see you there. Excellent. See, that's why I have to go. We must meet in the flesh. Indeed, and swap drinks and tails. Yes. Excellent. Any other cons? No, uh, the only other plug would be uh, I'm, I'm, I've been doing some teaching and coaching with Good, Word, Good Words Right Order, and I'm taking all that material this year, and I'm putting it online in small screen books, working towards making a book. So if you want some uh, either inspiration or writing-related entertainment, there's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of screencasts. There's a wonderful little screen book up there now called How to Kill a Word. I've read that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. As, so as this year goes on, I'm, I'm putting out one of those a month just to get all that, that content out there because it's important to share good stuff. Absolutely. And, and the URL for, for the site of all this awesomeness? PatrickEMcLean.com will point you to all the crap I have going on. <laughs> and uh, uh, goodwordsrightorder.com, R-I-G-H-T, Yes, uh, will we'll take you to the writing stuff. Well, 
Patrick, we're going to make sure all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes uh, uh, and, and links to all of the goodness so that everybody can find that stuff. And, and friends, just one more reason why you got to go to Balticon this year. Patrick McLean's going to be there, and it's going to be a blast. And more importantly, Paul Fisher's going to be there. He, that guy just works his ass off to bring all the new media authors. and He's just a great guy. Like, I get, Paul's awesome. He is, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to shaking his hand. I know him only by reputation and from peripheral observations. Look, gentlemen, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause for just a moment, uh, give some give some air time to another uh, awesome podcast or or an ebook or or a Kickstarter project or whatever. And then when we come back, I'd like to workshop a story. What do you say? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's thing. Do it. Awesome. All right, friends, you guys stay right there. We will be right back. Before the written word, his children preyed upon ancient man. Its Nephilim and worshippers have affected Sumer, the Indus Valley, the founding of Judaism, and even the ancient Egyptian monarchy. The legend of his children, its existence, and the warriors who fight its presence have been passed down from generation to generation. Garaga's children Ancients, the first six stories of Paul Ellard Cooley's Parsec Award-nominated series. On April 1st, 2013, own a piece of history by ordering your own signed, numbered, limited-edition hardcover, featuring bonus materials never before released. Please visit shadowpublications.com for more information. We don't believe in happy endings. Welcome back. Hey, man, we're here. You know how this part goes. This is my favorite part. Every time I'm here, this is the part I love. The round table experience, the story workshop. We've been cruising around this old town in our rusty old brown Buick, and we found ourselves a nice old driveway just rife with that sale. A card table set out, old boxes of ideas and for sale signs and everything. So Dave and Patrick and I are going to get out of this old Cadillac, this Buick, and we're just going to kind of go through things, find all the good ideas at cheap deals, take them and turn them into something awesome. So let's do this, Dave. Who's our guy? I'm so down with that. Yes. I, I, I see the, I can feel the duct tape already coming out and lashing this goodness together. That's right. Ryan, dude, um, our, our guest writer, having survived in the workaday world of federal government contracting from his underground bunker in the middle of our nation's capital, uh, uh, he found himself to be bored one day and picked up a pen. And that pen stopped writing after about half a sentence of chicken scratch. So he threw that out and started (laughs) typing. Yeah. Which, truth to tell, he's much better at anyway. So, I mean, who the hell writes longhand, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey? So, (laughs) now that was 2004. And since then, he has racked up uh, the most time ever writing drafts uh, and yielding to horrendous distractions like getting married, having a son, and remaining employed. And yet, he's also done a few comics with the DC Comics Conspiracy, written, uh, yeah, written a short for Pendant Audio's seminar series, contributed his voice to Pendant and other productions in the audio drama Potosphere, and is now preparing his debut novel, The Strange, for rollout at his website, ScreamingCandle.com, which will be in much better shape and not quite so parked by the time this airs, hopefully. 
Uh, and interestingly enough, as a side note, the irony is that the very first thing I ever said to this guy was, shh, at a Balticon panel last year. <laughs> Dear friends, welcome to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, Patrick Lewis. Patrick Lewis, sir, thank you so much. I know it's never easy. No matter how professional you might be or how much experience you've got, it's never easy to put your baby up there for scrutiny and discussion. So we really appreciate that, man. Yeah, no problem. No problem. It's here. It's here for you. <laughs> and we're we're going to have all kinds of fun with it. Now, tell me about DC Comics Conspiracy. What's that all about? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a um, collection of independent artists and just comic book people who do independent comics. There's a fairly significant uh, uh, con here for independent comics, and it sort of gathers around that. There's a good community here of of people who do comics. So and and the strange, your first debut novel is coming out. Yes, yes, I've been um, putting down tracks for uh, for rollout in. I'm I'm trying to do this for April twentieth. Because it's that okay. kind of book. <laughs> now, wait, what, what kind of book is that that comes out on April 20th? Oh, uh, well, it's, it's for 420. And it's basically um, you mix superheroes with the Pineapple Express. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, that's kind of where we're going. Sweet. <laughs> so, Oh, that's so cool. Well, look, you and I will stay in touch. And, and when the details of that come up and, and there's specific links and all of that stuff, we will definitely make sure that gets shown up. Uh, uh, on the pot on the round table because <laughs> we all want a piece of that slice mm-hmm. of pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I can't but, wait to have it out. And and unlike you know you're you're a classic Rolling Stone, no moss gathering in your crevices. You've got a debut novel coming out, and you're already workshopping another one, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, look, let's do that then. Let's get into that business. Patrick, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, the the format. Is it a short story, novella, whatever? Uh, uh, give us uh, the world, the theme, the tagline, the characters. Walk us through some of the basic key plot points, and we'll start workshopping this bad boy. So I'm, I'm turning the mic over to you, sir. It's all yours. Fantastic. Okay, the story is called Clocking In. And the hook is, it's Ocean's Eleven in the future, but instead of money, they are stealing opportunity. Uh, which is admittedly not as well-guarded. The theme is, you are what you do. And when you're not doing it, things just aren't right. The main characters, you've got uh, Slick, who is a 70s, you know, a 70-year-old guy, um, which is the new middle age in the distant future. He's a manager who is coming off of a long-term sort of breakdown, so he's got a lot of self-doubt. And he's not really doing anything, and that's his problem. He's the kind of guy who's constantly running his mouth. He is accompanied on his journey by Casey, who is a, uh, um, a broken person having gone through a bad black market brain remap that was intended to make her super smart. She, has, uh, she picks up personalities from media, so if she watches you know, too much mash, she'll be hot lips for a while. And then Bon, who is a young whiz kid programmer, who's functionally blind but has medical implants and he has he has hacked the uh, medical implants to allow him to visually program uh, and this is essentially his life's work but his life is pretty young especially compared to the long lives of the people in the in the society 
So uh, that's our cur- that's our crew. There's a couple of support people, and then the main bad of the current story, which is McDougal, who owns a company, and um, we'll get to him when we talk about the uh, the plot. People are basically like we like they are now. Corporations run a lot of stuff, but no more than they do now, for better or worse. Uh, healthcare is provided for people with money via this in- unobtrusive device called the Sapphire, which fits behind your head. It monitors you and delivers medicine right where it's needed through uh, microfiber probes. Poor people still wait for spots in clinics, so it's pretty much like today, but just add technology. The solar system is populated. Basically, any place rocky is a place where humans can live, and they do now. They have these giant spinning wheels in space that make cheap transport go, but these giant wheels, they turn around, and they're like slingshots, and so they fire these unattended cargo containers, which has given rise to space piracy. By the way, these are poached science concepts that I've heard of, so um, I'm just stealing them for the story world. So, the plot of cashing in. Okay, so Slick is basically just starting out. He's down on his luck. Uh, he's, deci- he's decided to crash reception he's heard of in the business district in Hightown, so he leaves his house in Lowtown, essentially because he's got nothing else to do. He sees Casey, who's this gorgeous woman, working at the door, and he charms her enough to let him in. He sees Bon, who is at this reception but not talking to anybody, so he slides up and starts chatting him up. We learn that uh, the reception is a recruiting drive for McDougal Associates, headed by Mr. McDougal himself, and they're looking for people to land a big contract. Bon is part of that contract. He's a big part of the contract, so they're just trying to put people around him. He's their resident whiz kid. They talk about how good-looking Casey is, and Bon reveals that he doesn't even really know what Casey looks like because he can't see that well. He's just about blind. McDougal comes in to greet the crowd from a balcony upon high. Slick, who's been making cracks all this time to Bon about things, says, uh, you know, geez, he's all grandiose. He's like the Pope or a stripper. So McDougal points him out in the crowd and says something like, you know, oh, look, hey, here's my mentor. Hey, Mr. Slick, how's it going? Oh, I forgot. You lost everything when you had a nervous breakdown. And you just, you know, so he just basically is a complete dick to this guy. Slick, who, you know, really just kind of stand there, responds with a hearty, kiss my ass, I am out of here, bolts. So he makes this big scene and leaves. Slick storms out to find a bar, and he's followed by Casey, who uh, he quickly believes is crazy. For some reason, she's talking about how uh, Slick should turn around, fight McDougal for her hand in affection. Slick says she's nuts. Go away, leave me alone. As they leave the house, where the reception was, uh, Slick leaves the door open, and there are some people who want to come in. So he's like, hey, after you. He goes to a bar, Casey follows him, and he's like, what's up with this girl? Don't really care, I'm just going to go get a beer. He quickly gets a call from Bon, who says the police have come in, broken into McDougal's house, served him with papers, McDougal got pissed off and fired everyone, especially Slick, so everybody's out of the house. And this is how they all three meet at the bar. At the bar, Bon talks about how, okay, well, geez, this thing, this... This opportunity, this contract, was really riding on him and his work. And so Slick smells an opportunity. He says, you know, I'm a businessman. I can see getting some revenge here. 
So he starts, and 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 uh, and by the way, I can help out, help this guy, this programmer out, help him start his life, and he's lost his his work when he got fired, essentially. So they figure out that Casey has this media disease, and so they decide to have her watch a bunch of Thin Man movies. So now she's Myrna Loy. And as Myrna Loy, she says, well, hey, if this whole contract is about just getting Bond's work back, why don't we just go get it? So they plan an infiltration to go and get Bond's work off of his now turned off computer. So they have to physically go in and get it. So Slick's the only person who's small enough to get through the ducts, and Bond can't do it anyway because he wouldn't be able to see well enough. So they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to isolate the house. Casey will redirect all of the incoming and outgoing traffic so the alarms don't actually hit anybody outside. Slick's going to go in and boost this information off of the computer. They start to do this. And one of the things that they do is like, okay, well, if we're a company, I'm going to give everybody a sapphire. So see here, I got mine now too. It turns out that, that Slick actually does have some money. He's just not using it. So it's scam day. Slick is inside of the, inside of the building. He's, uh, he's sucked everything out of the computer. In walks Bond to talk to McDougal because this is in his house. It says, McDougal, hey, you're being robbed right now. Can I have my job back, please? You see, I'm a loyal guy. McDougal drags Slick out of what he's doing, checks him out, sees that there's no, there's no information on him, and calls the cops, and then tosses everybody out, including Bond. I don't care who you are, what you did, uh, you're still fired. They walk away, and it turns out that Slick knew that Bond was going to rat him out and worked around it because he's a manager. He manages people, and he had put all of the information in a fake sapphire that was on his head that they did not search. And so now they've got all the information and they're going to bid for the contract. There's a little bit more, but I think I'm out of time. So, all right, Patrick, what are you hoping to get out of the half hour or so of conversation we've got left here? Okay. Well, I'm looking for you to poke holes in my scam here. Okay. Cause that's going to be pretty obvious. The thing is for having done all of that plot, the kind of more important thing for me is to give Slick an opportunity to just open his mouth because that's where this is intended to be humorous. And for me, that's where my humor comes from. It doesn't come from the narration or really a lot of the situation. It comes from just letting a guy talk. Okay. So I'm looking for interesting things for him to react to inside of the scam problems to have because I don't think they have enough problems. Okay. And just, you know, what do you think? All right, cool. Well, we can do that. But before we do, we need to cover our ass. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Ryan, would you be so kind? I would be so kind. Uh, You're a gentleman, sir. Thank hey, you. no worries. All right, so this is your story. But anything that we propose as an idea or any concept that we're going to attach to the story is uh, our ideas and nothing more. It's still to your discretion, Patrick, what you choose to harvest from this and what you choose to ignore. So keep in mind that this is your story. We're just presenting ideas with the goal of making it better. Sound good? Sounds awesome. Excellent. We can do that. All right. As is our custom, we'll lead off with a, a quick round around the table. Everybody give first impressions of, of Mr. Lewis's story and any questions of clarification just to sort of set up the arena of our ensuing discussion. So, Mr. McLean, we'll start off with you, sir. First impressions of Patrick's story idea and any questions of clarification you might have. Well, it's a mess, which means which means he's well on the way. Um, ah. Yes, because <laughs> everything is a mess before it gets done, and and that's the part that 
most people forget about. So I, I, what I what I didn't hear in the description is is really some some very simple things that I'm sure he knows or has ideas about. As a reader, as a listener, what we need we need to know some things. We need to know very quickly what the what the main character wants, why he wants it, what what success is going to be, and what loss is going to be. You know what what is this story set up as the payoff? And you know, in 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 Ocean's Eleven, you know. Uh, uh, he was really trying to get his wife back. He was trying to get even and get whole, but if we turn out, he's trying, he's trying to get his, his wife back and his life back. Um, in, in this, you know, the, the question is, what is, and we can move around the table and explore this more, you know, what, what, is he, yeah. what is he getting back? How do we know when this character is one? And, uh, you know, yeah. under what, what circumstances? That's an excellent question. Um, just real quick, uh, Mr. Lewis, do you have any, any thoughts along those lines? Well, yeah. What this guy is trying to do is he's really trying to rebuild his life. He was a top-level sort of manager guy. You know, a personal crisis hit him that's not terribly relevant to the story, but you've got a personal crisis hit him, and so he lost everything. Well, and so he's trying to get his job. He's trying to make himself a job now. Okay, hold on. What, what do you got for that, Mr. McLean? Well, I mean, it, it, it helps if you know, you know what the crisis is because I think what, yeah. what makes it more transparent is what's the thing that he can get back. It doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, what's yeah. the thing that he can get back that you know he's won? So when Danny Ocean gets his really the whole scam is to get his wife back. And when, you know when, when Tess comes back to him, even though he's going to jail at the end of the movie, you know that he's, he's whole again. Right. Okay. Well, I, I had the uh, that the crisis was that he lost his kid. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and he lost also, also lost his wife and his um and his career sort of in the process of losing his kid. Okay. So so that it's that's that's way because those stakes are way higher. Like losing your kid is way higher than losing your job. Right. I. I, I didn't put it in the in the plot because I wasn't actually going to even address it now. Cause well, but we kind of but we kind of need to in the context of understanding why the the reader should give a damn about Slick or Casey or Bond. Okay. Uh, at this point, well, and I'm kind of jumping ahead. Mr. McLean, did you have any other initial thoughts or, or considerations? No, no. Let's 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 go around the table. This is great. That's just the way I saw it. So. Let's do. Let's do. Ryan, what about you, sir? First impressions, questions? Oh, that's a huge point that I think just got brought up. It, it I may, agree. It I may agree. seem inconsequential, but one of the issues I had as we were going through the story idea was, um, why do I care? Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think you need to give a lot more weight or, or consideration to, to giving that the, the, the moment in the sun that it certainly needs. I'm going to turn that around as I usually do and suggest that <laughs> uh, you need to do the same thing with the antagonist. I, I got two very simple archetypes that kind of came out at me as you were talking through this and I, I Trumpish is the way I'm going to describe the antagonist so far as it seems to me that all he really does is fires everybody. He just lips off and fires people and that's just kind of his modus operandi. What do you mean my steak was overcooked? You're fired. You're fired. That's that's fine, but again I just find myself thinking he's just he's cardboard, so I want to spend a bit of time tonight talking about giving him that that extra depth. I agree. Um I also I want to ask you a quick question because I wasn't sure about this, but I think I'm getting more clarity now. Is uh, you're intending this to be a comedy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's good to know. I'm glad to hear that because I think you've certainly got a lot of the trappings that are going to build that. And I know that Patrick is a good guy to have on this show if that's what you're gunning for. So good <laughs> well, call on that. Well, and, you um, know the other the other thing with comedy is 
you really can break a lot of these rules so long yes. as it's funny. So, yes. And that's, that's the only other thing I want to really quickly touch on is a statement you made at the end there that made me a little nervous, which was that you're looking for opportunities to give Slick a chance to talk because that's where your comedy comes from. That's awesome. Do that. Don't hang your hat on that. I'm going to push right. you as we go through this half hour to make sure that you're not just giving, it's not just a Rodney Dangerfield kind of look at him, comment on everything around him because I think right. that'll get dull fast. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. awesome idea, and I'm looking forward to kind of ripping it to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. Me too. Because, God, I love a good caper story, whether it's a book or a movie or whatever. I don't care. Uh, uh, and when you, as soon as you said Ocean's Eleven in the future, it's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm all over so, that. I mean, you're in. you got to be in. Right? Yes. Yes. You're, you're hooked, lined, sinkered. I'm there. Um, uh, the characters that you've created, Patrick, very cool. Uh, uh, Slick, Casey, Bond, these are intriguing character profiles but as has been observed already there's nothing underneath them casey's got a bad brain remap so she picks up personalities fascinating concept why do we give a damn uh, uh what is it about casey that is so endearing what is it that that gets gets under our skin that makes us care oh that poor girl she has a brain disorder why why, why did she get the brain remap you know she did yeah. it for normal purpose we immediately care well uh, and this is something that also got cut out because it sort of a- – anyway, she was put up for it by her parents. It turns out that, uh, that Earth is rather badly overpopulated and her parents just didn't have anything for her. And so this is the thing that they could do for her is to, is to give her this skill, but it goes horribly wrong. And, um, and she doesn't remember who she was before her brain was remapped. So that's her – Overall story arc, this this one story is intended to be the first of three stories, and you know her arc gets more dealt, dealt with okay. later. But right. um, but she does she's searching for herself. And I, and I get that you know that there's 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 three stories that are coming out, and, and we're going to explore all of this in their fullness in the three stories. But if we don't get hooked in the first story, nobody's going to read the other two. So we've got to push something out there for all of these characters so that we got to know what's going to happen to them. We've got, I think, gentlemen, I think we have our work cut out for us here. Uh, we've got an excellent story framework. We've got some intriguing characters. We just need some, with some flesh, some, some bones, some, some substance under here that not only informs the characters, but also connects them to the story intimately and makes the arc work within the context of this first story so that we're all very interested in what happens in the second and third. So, first step, uh, what... Mr. McLean, t- lead us off here, man. What's what's the first thing we need to do here? Um, we've got elements, um, and we've got some really interesting, like large elements here. You were talking about healthcare. You were talking about overpopulation. You were talking, and and you know, speculative fiction deals with these and uses them to bring things out. However, no one really cares about them unless they directly relate as an obstacle to the characters. So while I think they're good, I think. The, the world and the obstacles need to be tightened up for what these characters want. So, uh, forgive me, uh, the, 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 girl, the girl with the... the right? Casey. Casey, Casey. Um, so she's got the brain remap, right? She's right. still trying to do something. So my, when you said that, one of the things that a character that's kind of like that is, um, you know, at, which everybody has seen, uh, I, I think, is, is River and Firefly. Yeah, there's a yeah. whole there's a whole geopolitical thing going on with River and her brother, right? Mm-hmm. But yes, as you deal with it in the story, 
it really is this girl with a f- with a fucked up brain trying to figure out how to get through the day. I mean, even right. as weird as she is, she's really just trying to get through the day. And at several points, she apologizes to her brother because she knows how hard she's made it for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are very touching moments. So I think if, if you figure out what, what each of these characters want, and we could pick something. So like maybe even though her, parent, like her parents were broke, they put all the money together to get her this, this uh, brain remapping. It went wrong. But she is still, she's even more hell-bent and determined. Like her parents have given up on this working out for her. But she's more hell-bent and determined uh, by bailing them out by doing well, even though she, she's only got half a brain now. Like, right. there's, there's some, like, nobility. So, you know, she wins if she can take care of her parents. And then Slick, like, if he wins when he gets his kid back. And the, these are really human things that you can put all kind of technological obstacles on. So maybe he doesn't have the money to get his kid back because his kid has got um, some... Well, his kid, when I say he lost his kid, his kid died. Oh, so, well, yeah. maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe he contracted a, 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 a critical chronic disease. They put him in cold sleep because this is the future. And now they have treatment. But his, well, but, but, yeah, but his insurance company, his insurance plan isn't going to pay for it. Because he doesn't have enough money for the little sapphire. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. And so now McDougal has, has made him promises uh, uh, that don't worry, we'll get your son. He's using his son to make Slick do what he wants to do. But at this reception, we discover that McDougal has screwed him. And, and Slick, see, the, the leading in of Slick, yeah, I'm not really sure what I want to do. I guess I'll go to this reception and kind of hang out. Mm-hmm. That's... that's, that's kind of weak sauce he's just kind of wandering let's give him a reason for being there let's give him a hard fast solid reason this is the at this reception i will finally get my kid back i will finally get my kid back yes Mm -hmm. and now we can hear about his passion and his interest and his dedication to his son and he'll get his wife back and then when mcdougall screws him maybe mcdougall's the guy is fired and he walks in the door yes he's going there to kill him yeah, or mm, and, and at that point, okay. Slick then instead of instead of McDougal coming down and insulting Slick and being a jerk. But well, wait, wait, actually, actually, we may be jumping too far ahead because one of the nice things about Ocean's Eleven, right? It's all personality-based comedy, and no one ever really points a gun at anybody else. Like if you listen to Steven right. Soderbergh in the commentary, and that's really nice. Like that's that's difficult, but maybe maybe that you know wander in there and kill him. But it, it, to tell me. Tell me about your vision for this thing before we before we keep shooting, shooting well, at it like this. Well, one of the one of the things that I wanted to I wanted to have is that when the when the three people come together, Slick has sort of adopts Casey and Bond because here are two people who are younger than him who are like that you know child that he lost that he can sort of he's he can get back into his groove and manage these mm. people and be like the father figure the mentor. Yeah, take he, the word manager. Got it, dude. Okay, that's it. Okay, so go, Ryan. What What are you looking at? No, no, I don't want to interrupt Patrick at all. I just I I want to. No, 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 no. I, th- I think that's exactly right, and I think that I think that you've got this. Make him make him significantly older too. Right. It's, so it's just that wants... just, it's got these two young characters, and suddenly they're not just heist buddies with him; they're extensions of his kid. Like as soon as you start saying that, and he's got an opportunity to parent, not manage, parent. Again, yeah. to- oh, oh, oh! What if what what if Casey uh, uh, taking a look at her brain map? You know, one thing that I see as a as a 
a challenge with that brain map, which is a very cool concept, is mm-hmm. here we are in the future. And so she picks up media types from media, but everything that we're going for is way in our past. So there's this huge gap of media that we're not going to actually see her engaging with unless... Well, no, but, but that's fine because you could have her, you know, she could have, there could have been some error, and this is really funny, actually, that part of her brain was overwritten with old TV shows. Ah, okay. In the 20th century. <laughs> there we so, go. The people, it's even funnier if the people in the, in the present day or in the time of the story, they don't get it, but the readers get it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and what I was thinking was, what if Casey, uh, part of her disorder is being able to read people so minutely. I mean, she, she picks up on these personalities and they're, they're hardwired into her. But what if she picks up on people so minutely that she actually, oh God, how to describe this? What I'm looking at is Casey sees Slick. Slick is thinking about his son so much that there's all sorts of sorts of physical nuances he's talking about his son. He's thinking about his son. So Casey starts acting. Starts playing back a scene yes. from The West Wing where uh, uh, the president's child is kidnapped. Yes. You know, like something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, okay. So you don't quite get it, but you could fill in the blank if you wanted to. That would actually fill, or if it's done properly, that might fill a plot gap here, too, that I was thinking of, which is how did uh, Slick find out that he was going to be, quote-unquote, betrayed by Bond? Perhaps it's because Slick figures out that Casey's able to read people so well. You know what's, you know what's better? And I'm just kind of discovering this on my own in a couple of my stories. Like, if it's an external force that got him into this mess, like, that's one thing. If Bond's, if, if, if Doodle's just a dick, what if it's Slick's fault? And you don't have to admit it right at the beginning. Right. Like, what if he really did it to himself? Like, the guilt is much, much worse. Yeah. He, he screwed up with the insurance somehow or played fast and loose with the money, and, and now he screwed up. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that because, because then somebody else paying, playing fast and loose is going to give a, a, invoke a very strong emotional reaction and slick, more so than probably it should, and somebody can call him on it, and now we can see the, the true depth of his own despair. Or in one of the crux, in the crux of the story, Bond wants to play fast at those. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. And he has, he has to be faced with himself. And Slick comes down hard, yeah. Yeah, well, well, Bond is really Bond. One of the reasons why he knows that Bonds is gonna is going to do what he did, or at least has a sus suspects that he's gonna do what he did. Is that Bond's kind of a weak character. He doesn't really have much of a moral compass, and he's so into his computer stuff that he doesn't really care as much about people as he should. Whereas, and that was what Slick was, and so he's grown into being this family person, which is why losing his family was such a big deal. So, I don't think that makes Bon a weak character at all. I, I think that actually makes him a very strong character, uh, just not somebody that we really like all that much at the very beginning. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. Good point. A bit weak-willed. Huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, maybe he's a guy who puts who who has technology at, at uh, gives technology too much of his life. Exactly. There you go. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, the uh, the computer is not the thing. It's just a thing that allows us to have this wonderful conversation. Right. Okay. What about McDougal? Mm-hmm. That's let's a big th- question. Let's, let's talk about the, uh-huh. the antagonist. You know, do we want to play with the idea of him 
uh, uh, using Slick's son as leverage to get Slick to do what he wants to do, and now that he's gotten it done, he's t- kicking him to the curb? Or is there is there more to it than that? that we want to look at it from a different angle. One thing about McDougal is that here's here's the thing: is that this is all about a contract, right? They're trying to win a contract. The contract is to build something for pirates. So it's it's a it's going through a shell company that looks legitimate, but it actually is a criminal activity. McDougal knows it's criminal. He just knows that he's got plausible deniability. So he's a bit of a scumbag, full stop, and doesn't care about it because he's all about the money and keeping score. He's about money. So that's really the extent okay. that I've thought about his character is that he's a you know backstabbing jerk. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yes, he is a backstabbing jerk, but if that's all he is, you know, when, when he goes down, it's kind of like, oh, okay, good, the backstabbing jerk got down, because that's, that's what happens to backstabbing jerks, you know? Well, I, th- I think that's fine if you, if you have the conflict between, between those three characters about how they deal with this situation, so if Bond wants to deal with the situation that Slick doesn't want him to deal with, and, you know, they all have a different perspective on the same moral question. But the other thing is if, it, if it's comedy, what's, what's driving the comedy? Um, mm-hmm. So in, in like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what drives the comedy is you've got this ordinary guy who just wanted to save his house. Right. He's trying to save his house from being destroyed. The earth gets destroyed and he's thrown into this uh, you know, ridiculous situation. In, um, and, and, and it can just be funnier and funnier and weirder and weirder because you've always got Arthur as a point of reference. So you, you bounce Arthur off the weirdness of the universe, and it's funny. What I try to do with How to Succeed in Evil is you've got a, a, like an ordinary business person faced with supervillains. And, and, you know, it, it, the ordinary business person, you know, the supervillain goes, I'm going to destroy the city. And the ordinary business person goes, yeah, how's that going to make you money? And the supervillain has nothing to say. That's funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so so what, is the, what is the device like that? Or... Um, you know, like uh, Groucho Marx, right? Or the Marx Brothers—they always made fun of authority. Have you have you got any any sense of that, or you know what what your favorite funny part of the story is? Because um, that'll help us build this out too. I think that I think that that one of the observations on life and the long life that Slick has had, confronted with these two young people who are just bananas, is <laughs> going to be where the where the humor comes out. You know, you think about things that way. Well, that's ridiculous, and here's why. You know, you've got this thing over here, and you got this thing over here, and then you got ah, forget it. You know, I'm not selling the joke terribly well because I do that when I write, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Uh, but that's the the conflict between the older guy who really knows how a lot of things work and is kind of a little impatient with that, and he can't shut up about things. He can't just let things go, and the, his interaction with these people who are starting out their lives not terrible with with these challenges with Casey not really knowing who she is and just doing weird things and Bond not really even having much of a personality outside of his abilities well what 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 you what you've got going here is you've got the the wise mentor who sees through the bullshit of culture yes. and you've got it doesn't matter that Casey mm-hmm. and Bond are young necessarily but they represent the 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 people that take culture at face value 
and think that iPhone 5s are cool because they're iPhone 5s, mm-hmm. not because they are a connective tool. So, so, and and that I can see totally, absolutely, is is slick as a commentary on on the the superficialities and and strangeness of contemporary culture. That that's an eternal storyline that you can riff forever. It gives you a bit of a mechanism too, like what Patrick was talking about with the the concept. You know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to me is still the penultimate example of humorous writing, and I think a lot of that stands out from the fact that it is an abnormal world reflected off the surface of a very normal person so uh, i consider that when you're talking about this that you've got an if you make the statement that he's kind of this older guy examining these these younger people or these culturally uh, drunk people that he should be a bit more of the straight man or something should exist there so that he can be that humor point for you i think you're you're going in the right direction now with that absolutely what, what, what if this what if he was like how about this they're trying to be criminals as, as by their lights. They're trying to like they're trying to be really shady, and they think they're really smart about being shady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Slick, Slick was really really good. Like mm-hmm. he he was really good. But a, as you do, you know, uh, when you when you commit crimes, he got caught and it wrecked his life. So he's he's like trying to steer them back on the path, or he's trying to say, you know, like okay. You're trying to run this con, but that's not really how you run a con. Like, I know you're really impressed with yourself, but okay. I know you've got all the code words, but that's not how you do it. And, and the, the con through the whole thing is you think that Slick is trying to help them run this you know, long con or thing or whatever. What he's really trying to do is he's trying to help them see that, that going straight and having a good life on your own is probably the right thing to do. Huh. Nice. Or... The exact reverse of it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that he's trying to dissuade them from con after con after con. But in, in point of fact, he's actually leading them exactly where they need to be uh, uh, with the con, taking down McDougal and then opening the door to, holy crap, did you really just play us through this whole book? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. So, so or what if he's trying to dissuade them out of every single one of these cons? Yes. But he's, yes. he's running the con himself. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, exactly. No, you don't want to do that con. That con's crazy. What you want to do is a it, now, you know, not quite that obviously, but but you know, holy crap. Have you ever read anything by Donald Westlake? No, I haven't. What has he done? Um, he's got a whole a whole series of novels called the Dortmunder novels. He's a is a mystery writer. He wrote he he's actually one of my my favorite genre writers. But uh, the Dortmunder novels are about this guy named Dortmunder and this. Bundling, bumbling series of criminals, and they can't ever quite seem to get it right. And that might be that might be helpful for this. And yes, absolutely. His other his other books, and they're great. He wrote crime novels. His other books are uh, the Parker uh, novels. So if you saw the movie Payback, yeah, uh, yeah, even the original one. So in that movie, it was called Porter, but it's really Parker. And those books are so much better than that movie. <laughs> and uh, Dar- Darwin Cook um, adapted four of the stories, or he's, I guess he's doing the fourth one now, to graphic novels. But oh, I, okay. I, I, I've read those things like popcorn. I mean, they're just, they're, and, and those are really dark. I mean, and they're yeah. magnificent. But the Dortmunder stuff has that, has that comic tone where you've got these great characters, they're trying to pull off this caper, and there's a crap load of twists. Yeah, you, need I- the, you need the crap load of twists. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and the twists within the context of the characters, not just the big overall caper, too. Right. Now, do do bear in mind that this is intended to be a novella. And Mm -hmm. there's supposed to be other stuff where, well, what do you do when you have the contract that's later? So I didn't make this too twisty because... I didn't want it. I didn't want to make it that long. Yeah. So, so until yeah, until they get the contract, and then other things can unfold. For one thing, they can go into space, and you can just have yeah. a, have a read 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 the hot rock. He broke it into I don't know five parts and probably twenty thousand words a piece. Okay. Um, and each one has that reversal at the end of those twenty thousand words, like this you're thinking b- about like novella. This is also this is also by Donald Westlake. Donald Westlake, the hot rock. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, see if that helps. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, and, and this is something that I'm trying to do because I, I stretch things out too long. I'm trying to make any anything that's... I, I, this is just my intuition. I feel like something that's 30,000 words right now should could function like a 50,000-word novel in the 50s because we're so much more used to regular story tropes that you can cram more story into less words. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to do. That's a good point. Yes, yes, and this and, and trying to go short is definitely a turnaround from the strange, which is too long, which I <laughs> let let write for too long, uh, and there are too many twists and twi- and I just wanted to have okay, nice little caper, and things go wrong, and you know, then we're off to the races in something else. So, I I still think that you could have you know at least two reversals. And then a big reveal at the end within the context of a novella. I like the idea that Slick is a bit of a criminal. Yeah. That that I hadn't thought of, I thought about him as being like the the only honest man, but you know, hey, if everybody else is if this is the way they do business, uh, that that seems to well, make and sense. There's also the nobility of of the crook. There's there's you know there's people like McDougal who are there. No finesse. They're just blunt objects that are are wreaking havoc for their own greed. No finesse, no style. You've got Casey and Bond who are so tricked out with their their treatments and their tech that they they've lost all sense of personal pride and and finesse in what they're doing. Without Slick, all of these people are just going to run the culture into the into the ground. Slick is the artist who brings back the sense of decorum and, and gentlemanly uh, uh, elan to the caper. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. So, no, I like it. I don't know what, what that's, that's where you want to yeah, go. Yeah, it's, it's one, it might be complete bullshit. Uh, which but the, but the, point, the point in there that I think that is, is, is absolute gold is, you know, if, if you have that, that struggle, then uh, McDougal, he can just be the shark from Jaws. Yeah. He's just Yeah. In fact, you know, we invoked Pratchett uh, uh, several times in this discussion, and I really like how Pratchett tends to overlay archetypes onto his characters, not heavily, not in, not in big, bold strokes, but like Ventanari uh, is, is definitely an archetype in and of himself. Ventanari is awesome. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, all of the characters have that defining aspect to them, and I can see McDougal having that kind of cold, almost, you know, shark-like eyes. Uh, uh, and and the, a constant chill around him and a shadow. You know, again, you don't want to get too too out of hand, but but 
painting in those caricature strokes will reinforce the comedy that you're bringing out and invite the audience into a world of play and exaggeration and and comedic timing where outrageous circumstances are accepted because it's fun and that's what you've set up right yeah well it's the future he could have shark skin <laughs> yeah shark eyes you know he had lenses that reflect completely blah blah yeah all kinds of stuff Ryan, you've been very quiet, sir. Are you just basking in the glow of all this awesomeness? Do you have Do you have something? No, oh, I I didn't want to be cutting <laughs> <laughs> cutting in a lot, so I thought uh, I'd, I'd let you guys kind of flow organically. I want to uh, address kind of very quickly um, the the concept. I like when I'm working on a story of if I if I get stuck, I'll take something that I had written down as assumed and just change it arbitrarily just to see what happens and for me i feel like that point is the big reveal at the end when bond reveals to mcdougall hey you're being robbed right now i would challenge you based on the information that we're, we're kind of providing right now that if you decide to make slick the criminal that maybe it's not bond that does that but someone else maybe yes. it is slick maybe that's the con all along and that's kind of where your multi-twist can come in hey look at me guys i'm gonna help you do a con properly because you're too stupid to do it then they go do it oh by the way guy we're conning we're conning you right now what you son of a bee yeah that's not the con either it's it you know the true something else yeah, yeah exactly and it turns out that casey and bond are in perfectly good hands that slick never abandoned that's them right. at all but they had to believe that he had that's right i i just i don't feel like bond is a concern for me admittedly and i say that because if he is integral to that contract i can't imagine a world where mcdougall just lets him walk out the door so for him to want McDougal's approval, that makes sense to me, but I don't see them ever getting that far. I like the idea of Slick kind of taking that fatherly tone towards Vaughn, and uh, sometimes the best way to discipline your kid or to show your kid not to touch the stove, if you know where I'm going with this, is to touch mm-hmm. the bloody stove and watch them <laughs> right. react, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so Oh, there's that ugly side of the Canadians right there. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> we're a bunch of stove touchers, I know. We're, <laughs> yeah, that's well. Well, I I have been letting my three-year-old experience just how cold it is outside without a jacket lately. Right. So. Good man. Good so, man. A little tough so love. I, I, just, I suggest that because I think twisting that end moment will help you kind of discover a bit more about these characters. I think you're well on your way to, to making them those characters. Oh, yeah. They need to be. So, yeah, let, let's keep playing with those assumed moments. Well, gentlemen, I'm, I'm looking at the clock ticking down here, and, and we're kind of reaching that point where we need to start tying things off. Um, so what I'd like to do is take one last turn around the table and just kind of uh, infuse Mr. Lewis with, with as many ideas, as many inspirations, as much uh, advice uh, that we can give him to send him off to write this thing so that he does indeed write it so we can then read it. Uh, which is something I'm looking forward to. So, Mr. McLean, would you be so kind, sir? Give us give us some closing thoughts uh, and words of wisdom for Master Lewis. Uh, I, I think you should let all the parts move. Be as free as possible to, like, flip things around, uh, like was just suggested. So, you know, flip the ending around, flip the whatever, because you've, you've got characters and you've got a setting, and now it's just, like, is it is it the end of the first you know, 30,000 words, you think that Slick is the bad guy. And then the end of the second thousand, you know, 30,000 words, you realize that Slick is their only hope. And by the end of the last 30,000 words, you realize that Slick has saved the day. You know, any, any flip around, maybe try and imagine a world in which, in which McDougal is a good guy for part of the story. Because the more you can get those reversals to go back and forth, like if you think about 
any great television show or novel, the farther you can get a character to move from good to bad, uh, I, I think the better story you have. So, and and I I do understand that I have totally lived this where you where you try and come up with something and then you come up with one idea and then you're fighting to let that idea you know stay there because you know you've worked so hard to make that one thing. It's okay. Nothing's wasted. Just just keep moving it all around, and and it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. And cake like comedy and and caper are difficult because you're not just bashing your way through it. So uh, right. I, I think I think that's awesome. We need more. We need more subtlety and more humor in the world. <laughs> yes, and more caper stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am. <laughs> Ryan, what about you, my friend? I want to echo kind of kind of that sentiment. A lot of the time, when you're writing uh, something like science fiction or something like a, a straight up thriller, the the object of the game eventually or invariably becomes that moment where you say, "This is too easy on my protagonist. What can I do to screw this guy?" In the case of comedy, in the case of what you're working with here, I'm going to recommend you take that, but just change a couple words specifically. I've got a situation. How do I make this the funniest situation it can be? And that's going to require you, I think, to do exactly what Patrick's suggesting, which is I'm not going to be nearly as eloquent when I suggest this, <laughs> is to let shit go. So, you know, this is a, I, I can't think of a great example. Okay, uh, here's one. Uh, Casey has that brain wipe. If you, at some point you just say to yourself, you know what, I'm not generating any humor out of that idea. There's nothing really there that's clinging to it. Let it go. It's tough. You're not throwing it away. You're just putting it in a drawer somewhere for another story someday. Yeah. Yep. I, that's that's good advice, Ryan. Especially with something as as sophisticated and complex as what we're building here. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm sorry. What we're building. Listen to me. What Patrick is building <laughs> here. I'm building. And he's just letting us play for a few minutes, which we're grateful for. So so yeah. And the the test is the test is if the idea is better, if it works, mm-hmm. it, it will make everything else you have to do easier. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for my part, Patrick, I, I so want to see this happen. And and one of the keys for a good caper story is is even the, the, the lead guy not being in control at one point. I would love to see something where Casey, for example, has recorded something with her with her mirror brain somehow that allowed, you know, something happens that Slick didn't even prepare for, but because of Casey or because of Bond or because of something that these these kids did in their nature they managed to save the day or at least keep the ball rolling so that the final con can play out giving casey and bond not just a comedic while we're kind of screw-ups in this cultural sense but also making them valid members and participants in the caper itself and giving slick something very tangible that we're you know we're talking about getting his kid back maybe the kids in cryo sleep maybe the kids disease uh maybe at the end of this novella they finally find out where the kid is so they can bring him out of cryo sleep but his his canister is gone because he's been taken by the pirates because they want his disease for germ warfare or something and that kicks you into the next stage you know, something like that that keeps the carrot either moving ahead or getting bigger and bigger so the stakes get larger and larger. McDougal is is kicked to the curb. Who's our next target? Who's the next challenge for Slick Casey and Bond in, in book two and book three? That type of thing. So Okay. That sounds great. I've really gotten a lot out of this. <laughs> and uh, Good. and and one of the things that I that I that I tried to do when I had this idea as that I said, you know what, 
this is a Dave Robinson idea. This thing should be on the Roundtable podcast. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this down, and I am not going to overthink this very much, so that I don't have anything I'm married to, so that there you, you all can tell me, I'll, you know, they give me this good box of ideas with duct tape on it, dude, and I can fold up my card table and go home. I, I, so that's fantastic. I am so touched that you actually came up with a story idea for the round table that we could then play with. Dude, you are awesome. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. No, no problem. Nope. Now, now here's the deal. Now you may have made this for the round table, but you are going to write this thing, right? Absolutely. Okay. When you do, you come back to us, you tell us, you show us the ebook, you, you, you know, we, we play back the audio. It's, it's big sixth, whatever. But you come back so we can knight you and make you an honorary, an honorable knight of the round table. And I promise there'll be shenanigans, there'll be capers, <laughs> there'll be there'll be stuff going on that will be shady and underhanded, and it'll you'll you'll be like a shadowy knight of the backless round gowns table. everywhere okay. you go. Yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, I'm a dad now, so I have to at least be home by like nine. Uh, no, no worries. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll 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 time tunnel. It'll be good. It'll be good. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Very Looking cool. forward to it. And Patrick McLean, sir, thank you so much. You you brought such a wonderful perspective, uh, it, just in terms of your experience, not only with the material but also with the process itself. This this has been a blast. Thank you, sir, very much. Oh well, thank you for having me. It's it's, it's always easier to play with somebody else's idea, somebody <laughs> else's idea, than to do the work yourself. So true that. True that. Yeah. Now coming up, I'm, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to feel that pain. I'm going to feel that pain before too terribly long, Mm -hmm. but, uh, oh, wow. Ryan, what do you think, man? I think this is our first caper story that we've ever had to, to workshop on. And certainly mine. Yeah. 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 This is Mm -hmm. a blast. I love this stuff. And I love, I love thinking on those aesthetics, those levels of, of nuanced character and that, that style, that finesse, that, complexity that makes for a good caper story. I just love my head being in that space. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 is Slick more stainless steel rat or more Lazarus Long? Ooh, good question. More Lazarus Long, I think. Yeah. Oh, man, I love, this is a great character. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, when you hit that play button, uh, uh, you just complete the circuit for us. Otherwise, we're just shouting in a dark, cold potosphere. So thank you for connecting. I hope you guys had a good time, as good a time as we did, playing in, in Patrick Lewis's playground here, which is just so much fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, absolutely. And if and if you're if you're feeling that joy, that love, then by all means, you know, let the world know that the round table is out there. Blog about us, tweet about us. Uh, we're out on Twitter at Writers Podcast. We're out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtable podcast. Now, another thing that you can do that a lot of people have been getting into is continue the discussion on the post. You can go, you know, if you if you've gone to the website www.roundtablepodcast.com and Put your ideas in the comment section of the post, and then I'll make sure that Patrick knows about it, and we can all come back. We can continue this discussion when this episode actually drops, which will be badass. Uh, now, I realize that you know everybody's sitting here going, wow, that was, that was a lot of fun. I want to read this story. What next? Well, what next is... In a couple of days, it starts all over again. We have more amazing guest hosts coming back, sharing their wisdom and their insight and their their perspective on the craft. We have more courageous, creative and courageous guest writers putting their stories out there for transmutation into literary gold. More, more writerly goodness on the round table. 
<sighs> but that's that's still a couple of days away. Ryan, dude, what what do you suggest everyone do between now and then? <laughs> Drink up, man. Drink up. <laughs> Stay, hydrated. Stay hydrated. That's bitches. right. Stay hydrated. <laughs> That's right. Pen in one hand, water bottle in the other. Right. Go. <laughs> and I will tell you, as always, you find what you're looking for. So, friends, look for the good stuff. Look for the top shelf blue label goodness, and you will find it. We will be back in just a couple of days with more awesomeness. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production, as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. This particular episode was produced by Lucy LeBlanc. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast, and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.